0: dub and welcome to episode 45 of you shall not pass go i am your host dave and we're going to talk about some nerd stuff so uh yeah i went with a simpler opening this time Tried a little fancy stuff kind of just missed the music and my voice got a little wubba dub dub in there and we'll get back to that a little later but for now i figured you know why not just keep it keep it simple Make it work. Uh, but you've heard our intro a couple different ways in these last few episodes, so if you have your own opinion about it, if you like something, want me to try something new, you can always feel free to email me at ysmpgcast at gmail.com. Um, that being said, starting off, I was playing Magic with a bunch of my friends And This was over the nice winter break that I just went through, and um, I'm sitting around the gaming table, and something happened that I haven't seen happen in a while, which I thought was great and unusual. Um, But I wanted to talk about what it feels like when you build a deck and you lend it to somebody else, and they play it, and it plays better for them than it plays for you. Um, This happened recently with uh, two of our friends. Actually, one of them was Jengis. It was just Jengis. It was Jengis's deck. And uh, he he lent it to our friend Alex. Alex played with his deck, and it worked beautifully for Alex, more than it's probably ever worked that well for Jengis. And um, it got me thinking. This isn't the first time this has happened. I'm sure everybody out there has built a deck and lent the deck to someone else and been like, hey, yeah, like it's totally cool because like if you win, I win too. <laughs> but as being on the receiving end of that transaction, I can tell you sometimes it doesn't feel good good when someone plays your deck better than you did. And I don't know if it's just luck of the draw. I don't know if it's just, they got the strategy under wraps better, better magic player, but it just, you don't feel good about it. You almost feel, even though you're like, you try to be happy and you're like, oh yeah, that's my deck. So this is like totally my win. Um, I don't know. I personally tend to just feel horrible about myself. In fact, it almost, I remember like back in the day when I had like, 12 or 15 edh decks if i lent it to someone and they beat me with my own deck like i was upset i was just upset i was you know it was, it was I, there's no other way around it i like didn't want to play that deck anymore i was like well this deck is dead to me now um but seriously uh you know i just um I don't know how I feel about that. I'd love to hear how you feel about that. Again, not that I'm trying to pressure you into emailing me, but email me. Give me ideas for shows because there's only so much steam one person has as they talk about random stuff when it comes to gaming. Um, and as an adult grown man, as I said on my last episode, my gaming time is few and far between. So um, I could always use more ideas for the show and always use your opinions as a jumping point to kind of keep going. Um, but. If you've ever had a deck, how did you feel? How did you feel if someone played your own deck? Were you happy? Were you sad? Let me know. Um, that being said, that's a little prompt for the beginning of this episode. Um, I don't know why I still say our it's almost like maybe it's you. Maybe you, my audience, are now part of this podcast, and therefore you're the collective. We are the collective we, and it is the collective hour. Though I should say my and I, who knows? Uh, but I kind of want to talk a little bit about Theros Beyond Death. We have about half the spoilers of the set out right now. And I just kind of wanted to weigh some opinions on it. First off, it seems they're doing that really weird thing again that they did last set, where it's like the new collector's edition where you can like order limited packs and get alternate art. And you might get really good cards with really fancy art, or you might get really shitty cards with not fancy art at all. And uh I don't know how I feel about this 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 alternate art of every card, or every rare at least. Um that aside. There's some interesting things going on here. Ashiok's back. Um, Elspeth is back. Uh, all of the gods are back, like all of the gods practically, We're, and demigods too. But I mean, like, you've got the monocolor gods like Heliod and Thassa, and then you've got like an Erebos, but then you've got like crazy multicolor gods too, just kind of weighing in there and getting crazy, like uh, Clythos, god of destiny, the new red green dot- god. I don't know if. Clo Cloth- Clothus? Clothus? I don't know if Clothis was a god before. I don't remember the name. It used to be uh oh my god, uh Seder God. Why can't I think of your name? Why isn't it coming to me? We play this called Can you play the card all the time. It's the one that gives the gives the super smack, uh the trample and the big and the big pump and the and the bopa boopy Um but I cannot remember. Wow. That's bad of me. This is this is me typing frantically for red green god MTG Xenogos Jesus Xenagod. Wow that was that was rough my brain was just not working I had a very long weekend I went to Hershey Pennsylvania this weekend and uh, I was uh, I was hanging out there at the Hershey Lodge with some of my some of my teacher friends and we played. Uh, we played games. We tried to at least. We played Exploding Kittens for the first time. I'm getting so sidetracked right now. Back to magic. We'll get back to it. Um, anyway, so we got the monocolor gods, got some uh, multicolor gods as well. Devotion is back. You have some very interesting uh, sagas that are back in this set, which is such a weird set to bring sagas back so quickly. They were like, oh, my God, it worked so well. Richard Garfield kind of knows what he's doing, and they're absolutely right. So they brought him back. And... Uh, I don't even know where to begin. I'm just going to make a couple comments. The first one is, the Elspeth of the deck is Elspeth's son's nemesis. Um, she She's a four drop for five loyalty, but only has minus abilities. Um, first ability is a minus one, which gives up to two target creatures. Each get plus two, plus one until end of turn. So it's like two unholy strengths. And uh, the minus two is create two one one derps. And minus 3s, you gain 5 life. But she also has an escape. For 6 mana, 2 white, 4 of anything, you can exile 4 cards from your graveyard and then bring her back. Or i rather, you know, you cast her for 6 if you exile 4 of the cards from your graveyard. But it make, it, I just wonder. Like, I feel like this is a card that's going to do really, really well in standard. And maybe be like 30 bucks when it first comes out. And then it's going to go nowhere after that. Because in my mind, I just can't wrap my head around wanting to play a card that is, there's no way to increase her loyalty in this format that I can see very quickly. And I don't see any proliferator or fun loyalty abilities. And on top of that, like she's, you know, what's she doing really? She's pumping two creatures or giving you two derps or you're gaining some life and she's dead in like Two turns, maybe, maybe one, depending on how badly she's hated by your opponent's side, and d- how much is she really helping? And then is it really worth bringing her back for six mana and four of the graveyards out of your grave, uh, four of the cards out of your graveyard? I mean, I just feel like that's so expensive for a card that really doesn't have like a bomb ability. Um, I don't know. Maybe people are seeing things I'm not. Maybe I'm just a cynic, but I feel like this is really just this is a shit card. Um, but that's my own opinion on that. Um, there's a reprint though, crazy reprint of idyllic tutor. Um, and I think I commented on this Elspeth before when we speculated when there was like the leaks and we didn't know if they were real, they were real. They were totally real. So my opinion stands. If I said this before, I can't remember what I said the last time, but idyllic tutor Got a reprint, which was a crazy surprise. Um, Idyllic Tutor, if you've never had one or played one, it uh, is a three-drop card. I think it was, I want to say originally Morning Tide. Let's check it out. Idyllic Tutor um, was... I'm so good. Originally Morning Tide. And it was only printed that one time, and it searches for an enchantment, and you put it into your hand after you reveal it, shuffle your library. Um, so it's an enchantment fetch, which is very interesting with the synergy of, you know, obviously all the gods and all the creatures and enchantment auras that are within the realm of Theros. Another interesting card is there's a new lotus. It's the Nyx Lotus. It's for um, anything mana, and it comes into the battlefield, uh, onto the battlefield tapped. You get to choose a color tap it, uh or I should reverse that. You tap it, you choose a color, and you add an amount of mana of that color equal to the, your devotion of that color. Interesting. Um I definitely think in some situations this card could be super awesome. I think in other situations this card could be completely useless. The problem I see with it is it's four mana just to get out there and enters tapped. So in my mind, I'm like, well, if I'm going to play this card and really get mass effect out of it, I want to decrease its cost and figure out ways to untap it so I can use it immediately. But all of the ways in which I'm thinking of doing that mostly involve artifact decks, which Yeah, we splice in a little bit of blue, maybe some black, maybe a little bit of white, a little Esper in there. But honestly, like the majority of my artifact decks are going to be coming in hot as colorless decks. And that devotion thing is going to mean nothing in that colorless deck. Um, Maybe if you have a cool historic deck you're running and you've got like, you know, if you're running... um, uh man, my brain is just fried today. uh, Joira, Wow, there, at least I've thought of something. If you're running the Joira that uh you know goes crazy on historic cards, maybe with the colors you have in there, you could possibly play that nix lotus but i feel like most of the cards in there are going to be instants and sorceries anyway and all the permanents are going to just be basic artifacts so in general i'm really not sure how nix lotus is going to pan out in a regular deck maybe late game gives you a whole lot of mana if you need it but who's to say if you really need it at that point um I highly recommend checking out the set. The temples are back. You can scry and get that beautiful, uh, you know, little look at the card just by playing a double color mana, and that's always a welcome thing. Um, As I said, there's some demigods, there's elder giants, and uh, a a Cerberus card called Kernos, Hound of Aetheros. It's a three-drop legendary creature hound for three-three with vigilance, menace, and lifelink. And has some death and taxes type abilities. It's uh, creature cards and graveyards can't enter the battlefield and players can't cast spells from graveyards. Isn't that nice? A lot of graveyard hate there, um, which is really, really interesting. So, outside of that, um, so far I don't want to make too many judgments on the set, but it looks like a pretty fun set. Uh, Color schemes kind of seem like a little all over the place. I'm not sure how this set's going to be to draft. I almost feel like it's going to be a little bit of a nightmare in, in a sealed format, but in constructed, I think it, it has a lot of potential, a lot of fun, and of course uh, for EDH, you know, obviously all of these legendary creatures and gods are always welcome to just find, figure out uh, ways to make new generals and, and new commanders and, and use them in the in the game. Uh, I'm I'm gonna swing back to my Hershey Lodge comment. So I'm at the Hershey Lodge, and we had to figure out games to play, keep ourselves occupied late at night. And uh, we decided on exploding kittens. Now, I'd never played exploding kittens before, and I enjoyed the simplicity of it. It was very much a game of chance and luck um but it the the very simple, basic limited strategy of the game was something that I found really, really interesting. And the game flows this way. You have a designated amount of bombs based on your number of players in the deck, exploding kittens, if you will. And everybody gets one diffuse cards, and then a certain number of diffuse cards are put into the deck to be drawn. And your turn ends when you draw a card. You can play as many cards as applicable on your turn, um, but you when you draw, that is you signifying the end of your turn. Now, some cards cause other players to draw, some cards let you look at the top, a couple cards, and rearrange cards, shuffle cards. Um, but the main thing is you don't want to draw a bomb. You draw a bomb, you have to have a diffuse. If you don't have a diffuse, you explode and you play to the last person who is alive. Um, if you do have a diffuse, you get to do something interesting, which is replace that exploding kitten into the deck, but you get to choose where to put it. And you don't even have to show anybody. You can do it behind your back if you want to. You can make it the top card. If you think the next player in line doesn't have a diffuse, you could just place it right back on top in front of them and let them know what's coming. Um, but honestly, like, you know, I, I found that part of the game probably the most interesting is trying to out psychologically guess my opponents in terms of where the bomb would be put and where to put the bomb when it was my turn to do so. Um, Yeah, you know, it was just, it was interesting. And then the the other cards are just basic kittens. And if you draw a pair of kittens, you get to play the pair and you get to then grab a card of your choice from someone's hand. You don't see what the card is beforehand. You just kind of pick one out and you grab it. Um, But it's an interesting game. It's an interesting little game with a lot of chance, a lot of luck and some strategy and some psychological fun. We played a couple rounds of it, and I got to say, I had a good time with it. I kind of wanted to almost pick up a copy of the game. So if you're looking for a quick, fun, easy game to play uh, that you can pick up with a limited amount of people, I would say Exploding Kittens would be your game. Um, So check that out. Um, But outside of that, we also decided, me and a couple other teachers, decided that we were going to try and learn Hero Clicks because a bunch of us just happened to be um, received very, very graciously as some hero clicks figures. And we were like, well, if we've got them here, we, at the school, we should, you know, we should learn how to play this game. And so I picked up a starter set of hero clicks that, what was in the pile of donation. And I read through the basic rules of the game and the basic rules seemed to make sense, Until I actually tried putting the pieces on the board, and then I just got confused. I understand the basics of the game. It's a miniatures combat game. You put the things down in the spaces. All of their stats are on the dial. You click the dial every time they take some damage, and it just sort of, like, evolves from there, and I totally get that, but... When I was trying to like look at the finer points of the rules, I mean, it's like coming into magic for the first time. I know why now when people come into magic, why it just seems so overwhelming. And And magic's probably the worst offender of this, but at least for the most part, like magic cards have everything you need Outside of the basic rules of magic, most cards have what you need on the card itself. Later on, you kind of learn more about the stack, and later on, you sort of learn about priority and all the, like, the little finer points of the game. But like, if you play a basic game of like starter magic, I feel like you can pick up a deck and sort of really understand how to play it almost immediately. You tap some mana, you play the card. If the card doesn't say anything... You just, it's probably a creature or a land and you just put it down and either swing with it or tap it. And if it's anything else, its rules are printed right there for you. You don't really have to reference much. It's usually just like, you know, tap two and one and you get fire breathing. You know what I mean? Plus one, plus one. It's simplistic in that nature in terms of like the rules being ready for you. Hero Clicks is sort of like the opposite of that because since... They're minis, and even though they have cards, you still have to sort of look up what every symbol means and what the colors of the symbol mean and how they apply and what's a passive effect versus a trigger effect versus an activated effect. Oh, well, that's right, similar to Magic. They have all three of those things. And it's like, you know, I, I just, I felt very overwhelmed and I just sort of put the figures down. I like, didn't want to learn. I was like, I'm, I'm, I just, I can't, I didn't have time for it. I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But I feel like if I give it more time and I play it, it might be a game I might end up really enjoying. I might even, you know, review it in detail, um, at a later episode, but I, I can see, I can see the allure of it for sure. It's definitely just, just, I'll, you know, equate it to, to magic um, in a similar vein, you know, it's a collectible game. You, there's, there's rarities of these figures and you want to get the rarest figures because of, stuff usually you know usually with rarity comes more power and you want to have power and you want to show off your figures and you want to play and i get it i totally get why people would would enjoy this game i'm just not sure it's going to be my cup of tea i think i like to keep my miniatures combat to just a dnd minimum but who knows you know like i said if maybe i learn the game a little bit more i might like it um another thing that i did over break was during the new years which by the way Happy freaking new year, listeners. Uh, hopefully your new year is filled with fun games and fun uh times with friends. And hopefully you stick with me throughout the rest of this year. Look forward to my best of the year awards, which will be coming up in about three episodes. And hopefully, if I ever get around to having the free time to do so, but I wouldn't wouldn't bank on it. We have a we still have that Planet of the Ick. Iqu- number three in the back burner that I'm, you know, in the middle of editing. And by in the middle, I mean the raw audio has been sitting on my laptop for months. And it was on Rocco's microphone for months before that. I think it was like at the beginning of the summer or maybe even the beginning of last year. Jesus, time flies. Anyway, um, so look out for those things this year, maybe, maybe not. And I hope, as I said, that you have a new year full of gaming goodness that being said, New Year's Eve, we had a bunch of people over here at my house and playing games and had fun. Played some more Mexican Train, which was fantastic, as it was the last time when I talked about it. But I... Uh I got a privilege of playing a Jackbox game for the first time. Um, it was actually Jankus's idea. He loaded it up on the computer and we played Jackbox. Now, if you've never played a Jackbox game before, it's a game that you can get for PlayStation four. You can get it for Xbox. You can get it for steam. It's all over the place. Um, and it's good for both windows PC and Mac. And these games are like, uh, a bunch of little party games that are played, through your computer or through your entertainment system but also through a website on your mobile device. So the first thing you do is in this play in this case we played Jackbox Party 6 um and it was a whole bunch of interesting games. The first one was like called, called like Murder Death Party or something. It was murder mystery Not really. It was like a murder trivia game. That's the best way to describe it. And what it is, is when you load the game up, um, you get a little bit of plot and whatnot. But first thing you have to do is they give you a code. You go to the Jackbox website, input that code, and it joins you into the game. So you use your mobile device as your way of answering and playing um, the game itself. And the trivia game is like, you know, you're all in a haunted house, and whoever is last, last alive can escape. And you stay alive by answering trivia questions. If you get them wrong, there's like these sort of like challenges that might kill you even if you die though you can still possibly win because at the very very end if you make it to the final round that is if everyone doesn't die beforehand and ruin the game um which the game tries very hard to keep you in it multiple times we would die and it would like rewind time and let us keep going to try and get us to the final round one time it didn't though booted us out um at the very very end you get a chance to sort of like overtake the person who is trying to escape by escaping first in which case you kill them and then come back to life so what I liked about the game is just, is not only the hilarity of the narration and the whole ridiculousness of the game itself but also the fact that even when you lost you didn't really lose like anyone could still win the game in the end um, which which was nice it was nice to sort of know that you always had a chance um, and it was a lot of fun and a lot of laughs there was also a, a joke boat one where we were all on a cruise ship and we were supposed to be like comedians you have to write stand-up comedy and you have to read it off and it was weird and funny and um you know a little bit hazing but it was it was pretty good i enjoyed that game as well but i think you have to be in the right kind of crowd with that game. It's not something that, you know, you can necessarily play with strangers. Part of what made the joke book uh joke boat good was that the company that we had were all friends. So there's a lot of inside jokes and a lot of knowing each other and knowing what we like and knowing what's funny for one another that made that game worthwhile. I feel like playing that game with strangers might be a little bit harder. I can see where it would fall flat if you don't really know your audience, so to speak um we also played an uh another role discovery game where you're all on a ship and you know a certain amount of people are aliens in this case it was uh like six of us or so and uh two people were aliens and you sort of had to figure out who they were by doing missions it was like it was almost like electronic avalon in space and the amount of options you have to sort of Discover who the aliens are. Great. And what was wonderful is out of two games, I got to be a human in one and an alien in the other. So I got to see what both sides of the game look like. The human side of the game is pretty straightforward. Every mission you're on, you get an objective and you do it. But the only thing that's in the back of your mind that's freaking you out is there's a point at which the aliens can hack you, and if they choose to hack you, like you'll get the wrong question, and then people are going to think that you're an alien even when you're not, and you have no way to prove it to them that you're not. You just sort of have to, you know, they have to believe you. And as as most role discovery games go and uh as an alien what was really interesting was the ability to hack people and the ability to sort of like sow the seeds of doubt and play that extra role and see like some things that other players couldn't see on your like on your phone which i know they couldn't see anywhere else um and it was just like a lot of fun um how you suss out who's human and who's alien is based on the questions a lot of times or like you know the activities that you do a lot of times uh the humans will will receive it in a very specific one way and the aliens will receive it in a slightly different way just as a for instance there's like a uh, a drawing challenge and when i was an alien the drawing challenge told me to draw big bird just said draw a picture of big bird so i did i drew big bird um But what all the humans were getting was a prompt that said, draw the biggest bird you can think of. Just so happens I was let off the hook because Big Bird is, in fact, a big bird. And one of our other party members decided to draw like a giant looking parrot. But it just looked like the perspective was just giant, not the parrot itself. And everyone's just like, that's a parrot. Clearly, this person's an alien because they didn't draw a big bird. Um, So I thought that was hilarious how things can kind of get turned that way. What else was in the Jackbox Party 6 game? Um, Oh, there was a weird one with like testing personality tests and like deciding who fits where in these weird little... Um tropes. Like one was like Game of Thrones houses. Everyone put me in House Lannister, which I accepted grac- graciously. I mean, I mean that was just that's just true. Uh but I just felt like that one was kind of okay. That's definitely a game you that is a hundred percent a game you cannot play with strangers. It would just not be great at all. You would never go anywhere with it. Um and as for playing with people you did know, it was kind of just okay. I don't know if I necessarily agree with some of the assumptions or some of the things that it gave us, but in total, it was it was okay. And I feel like there was probably one or two more games on there that I'm forgetting, but they either were lackluster or we didn't play them because, honestly, it's not coming to my brain right now, and I'm not going to look it up. Uh, so... As someone who had never played a Jackbox game before and only heard about them, I had a really great time. And I think that if you have a, I think I'm going to say that if you have a party, a group of people at a party who are friends of yours, who you know and you get along with, I feel like the Jackbox game is a perfect game to play. If you're playing with a group of strangers or people you don't know, I feel like it's probably not the best game to play. There are better other games that you can play online. Um so you know, obviously my break was filled with a lot of gaming. And one of the games that I played, in addition to everything else I've gone over so far, is I've we finally, we, my little gaming group that plays Gloomhaven slash time stories, finally got around to ooh ow, Finally got around to finishing the final Time Stories game of the White Cycle, as they call it, which was Madam. Now, if you remember, probably two, three years ago, Time Stories was like the Golden Dengue number one game of the year. I have to tell you, Madam was awful, and it put a foul stain on the legacy that was Time Stories for me and my gaming group. Madam was a game that if I never think about again, I'd live a happier life. That's how bad it was. Uh, I don't even know how to explain this in a non-spoiler way, so spoilers coming. Again, spoilers coming. Uh, The entire time you play Time Stories, there are two sort of mysteries that are going on one is a mystery around a very specific object or set of objects and the other mystery is about the game itself and the overall arching plot of the games the first mystery is in some of the games well in most of the games you have an opportunity if you're careful and you're good enough to collect these cubes which I think we mentioned at some point we don't know what the cubes do you were just told in the first game you were told to hold the cube forever it had a little symbol that let you know that it was a it was a card that you were supposed to take out of the game box and hold on to for later adventures as you went on though some of the other cubes didn't have that symbol or didn't even say anything about keeping it so if you hadn't played The first game, if you hadn't played Time Stories Asylum and made the conclusion to yourself that you should keep that cube for later, you would never know in the other games to continue to save these cubes. And that's important because, madam, you think it's about one thing. You think it's about uh, something going weird with time after you royally messed up your last mission. And instead, it ends up being about Bob, the ever so not plucky uh, mission boss who's missing in this one in your alternate reality that you're in for this one. Uh, and turns out, like, Bob was murdered and you're in an alternate timeline. And the whole mission was about getting Bob's grandparents to do the nasty in the pasty and make Bob eventually that was it. You were trying to save Bob who just ends up being dead in the end of the game anyway. So everything you do is sort of futile. And at the very end of the game, there's this woman that's like, we can still save Bob, which again, sort of bangs on the fact that you care about Bob, who's been kind of a dick the entire time you've been playing this game. And, You have to save him by giving her the nine other cubes or eight other cubes, however many it was, um, that you've gathered throughout the other expansions. So as I said, the first thing is you would have had to have known to keep those cubes by playing Asylum and continuing on from there game to game with the assumption that because you kept the one cube in asylum meant that you should keep all the other cubes despite the fact that that's not printed in any rule book and there's not there's nothing telling you to do so on top of that you would have had to have actually managed to find all the cubes which some were not easily found and easily missed we missed probably about half of them yeah about four maybe even five of them um so honestly like i just and the thing is if you don't have the cubes the game just ends without any conclusion whatsoever like it's a woman standing there that you have no other options no other place to go nothing else to read it's just give me the cubes and that's it there's not even an or else it's not even a or put the game away and your time is up or read this card because i'm so sorry it's just give me the cubes and then you just stare at the card and you look at it and you look at your friends. And you just start to get angry. You start to get angry. So you gather up all the cubes because that's what we did. We just went back through all the, all the expansions and found all the cubes. And we were like, all right, fine. You know what? We're just going to cheat it and we're going to just... Get the cubes for ourselves and see what comes of it. And honestly, uh, the c- conclusion of that was even worse. It just led you to a website that told you about Time Stories Revolution, the next series of games. That was it. That's all the cubes did. Now you might be thinking to yourself, that sounds bad, but it doesn't sound awful. Well, it is, because the other part of this that I was talking about was that there's an overarching plot to the Time Stories game. The overarching plot is that you've been this time cop working for this very specific agency. And in the background, this other group called the, we call them the Saiyans because that's what it looks like. It is spelled similarly. It might be like the Cyans or something, but we call them the Saiyans because, let's face it, DBZ is awesome. Uh, but... The Saiyans are like the bad guys, supposedly. They're the ones you're chasing. They're the ones that are like, you know, messing time up and making everyone's lives a living hell. And so your job is to stop them. And then there's a third group in the background of like weird, fanatical alien freaking people who I don't even remember what their motivation was. But eventually you get offered an opportunity to to join um one of those three factions you can either stick out with the time cops and be like legit you can join the Saiyans and sort of subvert them or you can join that weird third group and do god knows what else and they wrote all this extraneous like extra plot on the time stories website that you give it a code for and you get to read special files and it just seemed like this was gearing up to a finale that was going to matter and the worst part was after we royally messed up the end of our last mission and it gave us a website code to go to that said mission failed and a message that we had to read a card before starting the game, like we we started Madam and immediately had to pick card, I think it's card 12 and read something. First off, found out that no matter whether you crit success, crit fail, or whatever in that other game, no matter what, you had to read card 12. And card 12 was just like a little mini prologue that even if we didn't have that little mini prologue, nothing would have changed in the game. On top of that, the finale doesn't mention the other splinter groups, the Saiyans or the whatever bees, at all. They're not mentioned one time. None of the plot lines are resolved. No further overarching plot has progressed. If you played Madam all by itself, if you just like maybe knew who Bob was and from Wikipedia or just, you know, even from Asylum, if you played Asylum and then played Madam, you would just be upset about the cubes, but the game would make sense. There wouldn't be a... Uh, discrepancy, if you will. There would be no time lost. Ah, See what I did there? You would literally feel like, oh, naturally this game comes second because... I know Bob from the last game. That's that guy that was giving me the mission. Um, Why do I care about him though? And the answer is you don't. And the answer is that even in all time stories, the only reason like, I don't know, maybe a lot of people have uh, the connection to Bob that we did. My group did care about Bob sort of because we, he was, he was like the uh, comic relief, if you will, because his, his, Artistically drawn face was always disappointed in everything you did, and his dry sarcasm just we just loved role playing as Bob and making fun of Bob making fun of us, and therefore we did have an investment with Bob. But even then, if you played the first game, played the last game, you might be confused about the cubes, but you wouldn't feel like you were missing anything. Playing through what's supposed to be a legacy game with an overarching plot, despite the fact that they're telling me the game is going to continue on really upset me that they didn't try harder to give us some kind of that plot. They didn't even have to resolve anything. The Saiyan conflict could still be going on. The whatever bees could still be in the background, but like none of that is mentioned, not at all. And to like sort of, sort of go along with that thread, uh, Andy, who's on our little gaming group a long time ago, got this, his gloop card, this secret card that only he read. And, We finally read it now that we're done playing this game forever. And it was just essentially just like anytime you see something green, go towards it, which we kind of guessed, but that was pretty much it. And there was maybe one game where that mattered. And Madam was not that game. It was just another thing that was never resolved. And the worst part is, was like, In this new version of the Time Stories game, none of the cards from the previous games matter at all because they're ditching the box. Time Stories Revolution is I mean, it's interesting in the sense that like what makes Time Stories so unique was that despite its reliance on the box and the board, every set was different because the cards are really what are giving you the rules of the game and what are really telling you like how the game is going to be played. Each game had a different style, different art form. That's what made it fun. But I think they realized that they were constrained by the limits of the box and board, especially in the last few games where they took a little bit more liberties with it. So Time Stories Revolution, the blue cycle, if you will, the next cycle in the Time Stories game line is going to be like games that are pick up and play Like right then and there, like no matter what it is you buy, if you buy one of the Time Stories Revolution games, you have everything you need in that box. You don't need to buy a core base set and then get this game as an expansion and and combine both like you did before. Everything you need is right there and ready, which from a game design standpoint is really interesting to see how this game is going to pretty much take its concept of being different through every expansion and sort of really, really embracing that feature. On the other hand, I just don't care, because the plot of The White Cycle went nowhere and didn't leave anything for me to care about in the future. In fact, as far as I'm aware, it seems like everything and everyone was wiped off the face of the planet and gone. So really, why did I play these games? And... I didn't just regret playing. I regretted spending the money. I spent money on these games. These expansions were like 30 bucks a pop, 20 or 30 bucks a pop. And there's what nine of them, Uh, 10 of them. I mean, that's a lot of money over the course of however many years I've been playing this stupid game. And we just, and I didn't, I wasn't alone in this. We sort of all talked about this sort of ending reflection, our little game group. And we all felt this way, just like this betrayed feeling of like, This was not the game we wanted to play. This was not how we wanted this to end. And so we're done. We're done playing time stories. We're not going to buy the blue cycle games. We're not going to buy time stories revolution. It's just not going to happen because honestly, what's the freaking point. Uh, but you know, I, I can't express necessarily in words, just how disappointed I was, but just know that the disappointment was there. Uh, I'm going to kind of end the podcast with talking about a fun thing. I'm about to run. I'm going to run for a game night. I'm going to run the new dungeons and dragons versus Rick and Morty, uh, adventure, which is great. Um, it's a it's a new book that you can get on D and D Beyond, as well as at your local hobby shop or even at Barnes Noble, and it is essentially the like the core rule book, maybe even I would say like the basic rules, if you will, uh, but with small notations and annotations by Rick, as if he's teaching the game to Morty and then the second half of the book is a one-shot adventure called The Lost Dungeon of Rickedness and I cannot wait to run this dungeon it is going to be so much fun primarily because I get to do the whole thing in my really bad Rick impression voice it comes with five pre-gen characters uh, four of which are Rick's family um, just in like new unique Outfits and and stuff like, you know, Morty is Keth Silverson, the half-orc rogue. And I love, like, looking at their little uh, character sheets because it, on the personality traits and bonds and flaws and ideals, it's very clearly written by Rick. It's like, you know, uh, Keth, you know, Morty, his... Uh, his character's personality trait is I have trouble saying no to pretty girls and mad scientists. Um, ideals is what's mine is yours. And what's yours is mine. And then the bond is, you know what, what's mine is actually mine. Give it back. (laughs) And the flaws is I have problems trusting my allies. I just, I love that. I love it so much. Um, Everything about like the flavor of it is just a lot of fun. And I thought what would be fun for the end of this podcast, short and sweet podcast that it is, is if I just read some of the adventure in terms of like, you know, what, how it is narrated in each room as my bad impression of Rick Sanchez. So, yeah, here we go. <clears throat> and you can ju- you can you can just enjoy You're an adventure, or maybe you're even a group of adventurers. Uh, wh- whatever. Why are you here? No one cares. Don't tell me your backstory. We're here to kick ass and find treasure. That's your motivation. Now get ready to roll. In front of you is a a, a, a a dark staircase. It's mysterious shadows beckon you to enter, and by beckon I mean you need to go down the stairs, or there's not a hell of a lot of purpose to us all sitting around this table. Is there? That's the opening. Love it. Uh the first room. This this room is dark and it smells like a pet store. It's all wood chips and warm poop down here. A bunch of bats flap around the room. They look harmless. And <laughs> I wrote bunch in the description, but you should use at least at least three sturges. If you have more than three characters in your game, then add more sturges to match the character count so the players can fight their own flying rodents and feel good about themselves if they kill one. And anyone who searches the room just needs a twelve wisdom perception check until they unearth. 35 silver scattered around searching whether the characters find anything or not also makes their hands smell like perp, perp bleh, 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 sturge poo which imposes disadvantage on the charisma checks and charisma saving throws until it's washed off the next room this room features a wooden table and a couple of stools two goblins hang out there they're looking pretty bored maybe they'd be less bored if they got into a life or death struggle with a few adventurers. just a thought one of the goblins is wearing an eye patch. His name is Leg. Uh, the other goblin has a bad leg. His name is I. If the characters are sneaky, they might be able to surprise these losers. Otherwise, if the party attacks, they gobble slobos, fight back. But before they both die, at least one of them flees to Area 5. I'm, I'm, I know this is like ridiculous and out of context, but just so good. Um, this is a statue room. This room is sort of trapezoidal with doors to the east, north, and south. It's also got statues kind of scattered around, mostly statues of Rick with inscriptions like, Wow! And Damn! Yeah. One of these statues depicts a woman in armor. Really fine crafting, real interesting. Seems like a great artist. Worked hard on this one. At the base of the statue, a plaque reads... Don't worry. I'm not a real person turned to stone. I'm just a cool looking statue put here to intrigue you. It's probably nothing. You should pick the door and move on. And then, if they like check and decide to perceive through this little statue, they find a hidden compartment with a piece of paper that reads Quit wasting time. Pick a door and go. Flip the coin if you have to. Just pick a direction. It's not rocket science. What are you gonna do? Spend the whole night standing in here with a statue? You need to pick a door and go! This is like the third fucking room we don't have all day. And it just goes on from there. You can see why I'm going to have a lot of fun with this dungeon. I, I'm i just... I'm so ready to just be Rick. Um, and what's great is like not just the narration, as you heard, even the DM's notes, things that like only the DM would know, are also written as if by Rick. Um... The introduction to the game itself of Dungeons & Dragons, it like starts off all very d like and then Rick has his annotation. Uh, it says, like, chapter one is how to play, right? The Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game is about storytelling in worlds of swords and sorcery, like games of make-believe. D&D is driven by imagination. It's about picturing a crumbling castle in a darkening forest and imagining how fantasy adventurer might react to the challenges that the scene presents. In this fantasy world, the possibilities are limited. Limitless. That's a really poetic opening, Morty, and it's kind of mostly true. But the theater major who wrote that forgot to mention power, Morty, the most important part of DD. People play this game because they want limitless power and treasure and to act like a complete badass all the time. I, 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 I mean, honestly, it's the illusion of power, Morty. We play games to distract ourselves from the reality that the universe is an unfeeling, uncontrollable shitstorm and everything we do is meaningless, but fine. Fine, let's just... <laughs> baseline assumption we, we we have to make because th- this is a human game for for human people we're, we're, we're not playing uh, Glabins and gunchkins with a bunch of pophons are we no we're not be- because Dungeons and dragons is is a portal gun to infinite ideas and infinite power without n- needing uh, to be a genius like me who built one morty it's it's not as good as a portal gun but it's also a lot cheaper it doesn't require unstable energy sources to operate it's good stuff uh yeah, and that's his intro. Um and then him him talking about being a dungeon master. Playing D&D is good, Morty, but running it is a total power load. You, 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 you get to be a god, Morty. You control the horizontal and, and then the, the, the vertical. You you, you tell players uh, w- w- what's going on, and then, and then you entertain their asses with your brilliance, Morty. You get a little taste of what it's like to be me all the time. I'm your teacher now. School can't help you here. School's a prison. 92% of races in the universe don't even believe in schools because they know. They already know. Anyway, the point is the dungeon master's in charge, and since I don't want that balding little turd from the cartoon messing with us again, that means I'm in charge or, 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 or if you're reading this book right now, which if you you are, if you're seeing these words, then then, then you're in charge. You I totally just deputized you by the power of Greyhawk or whatever it is. I love it. I absolutely love it. I could keep going on. I'm just having too much fun doing my bad Rick voice and reading these words. Um, But if you liked any of what you just heard, you can find all that and more in Dungeons & Dragons versus Rick and Morty, which, as I said, is out now. Um, So I won't spoil any more of the book for you. Even if you're not going to run the adventure in the end of it, even if you already have the core rulebook, it's worth it just as a fun way to teach new players in that sort of style if they're Rick and Morty fans which let's face it probably the majority of D&D players are but I'm making a very strong assumption right now and on top of that like it's just a fun read for you who has played D&D before who knows what it's about it's time to end our podcast now our, our delicious January of 2020, the first podcast of You Shall Not Pass Go 2020. And again, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in February. Peace. If you liked this episode of You Shall Not Pass Go, please subscribe. Our episodes are monthly, and you can find this and many more podcasts on geekade.com. If you'd like to share your opinions about the topics of the episode, or you just want to say hi, email us at ysnpgcast at gmail.com.